0: Welcome to episode 22 of Stageworthy, I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. On Stageworthy, I interview people who make theatre, actors, directors, playwrights, and more, and talk to them about everything from why they chose the theatre to their work process and anything in between. Alexandra Simpson is an interdisciplinary theatre artist with a background in dance, music, documentary, playwriting, installation, and directing, and the founder of the Terra Incognita Collective. She was joined by collective members Chris Whidden, Kevin Wong, Elizabeth Staples, and Morgan Johnson to talk about their upcoming show, Terra Incognita, running from June 3rd to June 6th in Toronto. You can find Stageworthy really on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, really and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or Google Music or whatever podcast app you use and consider leaving a comment or rating.
1: Kevin Matthew Wong.
0: <laughs> and you guys are preparing for a mask show. Is that like just simplifying it you know, you're doing a, a mask performance? Can you tell me a little bit about uh, the performance that you're preparing for?
2: Yeah. Who's um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I'll start and you guys yeah. fill in. Um, so, the show that we're preparing, uh, preparing for is called um, Terra Incognita. That's probably Elizabeth. Hey, come on and go. Hey there. I'm Elizabeth Staples.
0: <laughs> nice to meet you, Elizabeth. I'm Phil. Hey. <laughs> we're just, this will be a little bit chaotic, yeah. but we'll just, we'll just keep it going. Awesome. Great. Yeah. yeah, sure. <laughs>
2: um, so the performance we're preparing for is called Terra Incognita by the Terra Incognita Collective, um, and it's a collectively created documentary mass work about degrowth environmentalism and our complicity within growth culture. So it's um, a combination of interviews that I took when I lived with the degrowth community in Saifert, France. Um, it's a combination of our explorations together as a group of looking through the history of growth culture mm-hmm. um, and our own personal experiences. And then we've also gone out and done some pop-up performances around the city of Toronto um, and so that's also being recorded, and they, it kind of acts as like a, uh, a media outlet within the piece itself. These pop-up performances.
0: Now, when you say growth culture, can you tell me exactly what that means? This is not a phrase that I'm, I'm familiar with. Can somebody tell me what that what that is? Well, I
3: guess I'll give my understanding of it because lot of these, a lot of the things we discuss, and degrowth just itself is something that is not always. Uh, the same for everybody it's, it's defined you know from their own perspective and to me growth culture is the same, like we're in growth culture we have this um, idea that everything in society the economy and uh, and everything about us has to always be exponentially growing you know uh, when really there's just not enough for everyone to always be at this huge peak of growth you know, like, our economy must always, like, be in a surplus, mm-hmm. and then every there must not be poverty. Uh, but if that was the case, there just wouldn't be anything left to take mm-hmm. at a certain point.
4: Yeah. A growth culture is a, a capitalist society based on GDP growth, mm-hmm. and everything that we do is controlled by money and the power that money brings.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I've, of course, heard of, of uh, documentary theater before. But the idea of mixing documentary theater with mask is something that I haven't heard of before. Um, me either. Yeah. 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 Tell me a little bit about, about how these two fit together.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the cool... So, there's this um, great quote by Frederick Jameson. Jameson and um, it says, it's easier to imagine the end of... Uh, the end of the world, than it is the end of capitalism, something mm-hmm. like that. And um, there's lots of articles talking about the kind of the lack of imagination that we have as a culture mm-hmm. to imagine alternatives. So the cool thing about masks is that it expands that imaginary, mm-hmm. um, and we can begin to explore alternatives, alternative um, personalities, alternative thoughts, even in the artists who are underneath mm-hmm. the mask. Mm-hmm. So it's really freeing in that way. Um, And then it also takes, we take um, inspiration from street performers, and there's this one great um, street performer called Natasha Tisakos, and she says that when she's in a mask, she has relationships with people that she doesn't have without the mask, Mm -hmm. so when doing audience immersive theater, it's also a really cool tool to kind of um, extend the hand of immersion to your audience members mm-hmm. um, perhaps in a less intimidating way, inviting them for that hour or whatever to do something, to act in a way, to think in a way that's not unlike themselves mm-hmm. in the day-to-day life that we would experience in growth culture. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of know And
4: more practically the way that um, we worked documentary theater and mask is that we would read articles and we would have discussions about certain topics and um, about Alex's experiences living um, in Kentucky uh, and then we would put on these masks and do different mask techniques to get into character and then not it really um, taking like direct inspiration but just like after having those discussions letting that influence the characters that we build and the situations that we build, but it was all through improvisation.
1: Mm, Uh, On the theme of alternatives, too, like we have two very alternative worlds to each other, but also very alternative from our own world. So we have sort of the worst possible scenario (laughs) world to start off, which we call the growth world. And then we have the sort of best possible scenario world, which is the degrowth world, uh, which is what some academics wish could happen or, or hope some anticipate will happen inevitably and some don't. Um, and I think that's uh, really interesting. And the way that we sort of explored as well, we started with the world that was more familiar to ours, which was actually the world that was the worst possible scenario in <laughs> world. Yeah. And the way that we got to the uh, best possible scenario world is actually uh, the community that Alex visited and looking at actual interviews. So I guess that's another element of the documentary element. Uh, we're looking at real people and our first masks in the first half of the show are abstractions. Mm-hmm. They're, they're people who exist in a fantastical alter universe, but. What's interesting about the second part of the show is we inhabit real people and we're listening to their, their actual text and as much as possible we're trying to stay true to what they say, the cadence of, of how they speak too uh, and also that it's a sort of international community that Alex interacted with which was really fascinating too. Every one of us sort of puts on a different accent. Not sort of, but we, we actually have <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. very different accents too and uh, and they all disagree and but agree in yeah. ways yeah. too. It's, it's wonderful.
0: Um, were you all... Uh, mask performers before you came to this or was this something new to you?
4: I'm trained in devised and physical Mm theatre so like movement based um, theatre physical theatre was something that I was very familiar with. I had never done mask work before Mm -hmm. so it was the first part of our process the first like three or four months that we were together Mm -hmm. was very very much about getting to know these masks that Alex had created and Mm -hmm. using... We kind of just did trial and error about the techniques that we used and Mm -hmm. what we found was the best way to create a character from these things, yeah. Uh,
3: I, myself, uh, went to school. Alex and I both went to Ryerson. And uh, one of the uh, faculty members there, who uh, used to be chair Mm -hmm. of it, but is still working there... um, taught us mask, his name is Perry Schneiderman, and he's a student of the clock, Um, and so he brought uh, that technique over, and so in school we had done, I guess, a part of a semester with mask, and I I personally had done one uh, performance, but other than that, this is my uh, first venture back. (laughs)
1: For for me, um, my experience with masks has been with like neutral masks mm-hmm. uh, through my training. Yeah. So it's quite different to be given the agency to do something that wasn't neutral in a mask, and also to speak in a mask that was kind of odd <laughs> yeah. uh, and 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 really freeing. Actually, in these in these last few weeks, it's been really really freeing. But what brought me to the project was actually the the idea of environmental issues in theater. Um, for the last few years, I've been working with some collaborators on environmental issues theater that looks quite different from this. But taking this vantage has been yeah quite a experience
2: yeah. um, I so yeah I did it in uh, school and I loved it and um, then I uh, trained with Sonny Norris I did like a six month like mask character mask workshop ah. um, just loved it and then I recently had a gig um, being back two times now I had a gig in Calgary with Swallow Bicycle Theater yeah. and we're creating um, like a mask a mask piece um, that's supposed to be produced in 2017 so it's kind of like a We went for two weeks and then we went for three weeks. So, so that, um, but then, yeah, for me, it's been like, it's my first time leading mask, a bunch of people in masks. It's my first time making masks. So it's been a lot of trial and error for myself too. And then also working, trying to figure out ways to, um, converge documentary and this really creative, liberating mask work and how to like make those two connect. So it's been a lot of, um, experience. Experimentation, which has been quite wonderful. Mm-hmm.
0: Have you, like, did you learn mask making, or is it completely trial and error for you?
2: <laughs> it's been trial and error. I, uh, oh, what's his name? D- David Dave Nez is a mask maker from Illinois, mm-hmm. and so I was just looking at websites and books and stuff, and I saw his technique, and he used. Um, paper bags and wood glue to make his masks. So I was like, oh, that's cool. I can like use all my LCBO bags that are laying around <laughs> my house for my roommates and myself and uh, recycle the paper. So I also tried to make masks that came from recycled material, trying to stick with the theme of environmentalism within the things we create as well. Um, but yeah, like my some of my first masks, or my first mask wasn't so good, so... I gave it a rhinoplasty, and it's now a character within the piece <laughs> named Craig. So, but it's also this like kind of losing the fear of like cutting into them because mm-hmm. I eventually I learned like oh even if I cut into it I can just re- rebuild the nose or you know if I yeah. screw up that badly I can re- I can fix it. So, mm-hmm.
0: now I'm curious. Two of you mentioned Ryerson, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you mentioned that you studied device theater, and uh, where where were so other than Ryerson, you just studied device theatre yeah. at? at uh, Humber. At Humber. Humber College, okay, yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. And because I'm always curious about what, one of the things that I like to explore mm-hmm. is, is where people started working in theatre and what their journey there was. It's hard with the group but I do, I do want to uh, talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. Um, why don't we start with Alexandra and mm-hmm. we'll talk about, uh, um, just tell me a little bit about how you came to theatre, how you discovered theatre. Mm-hmm. And then maybe uh, a little bit about how that relates to masking will go around.
4: This is good for me too. Take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> um,
2: Takes me back. Uh, well, I was either going to go to school for something like biology because mm-hmm. I was always interested in the human body and also nature stuff, um, or I was going to go to theatre school and I wound up getting into Ryerson, which was the school of my choice, and so I went there. Um, so that's where it kind of began, but I was, I was, I guess, I was very, very shy as a kid, um, and had a lot of social anxiety, so for me, theatre was a place where I could like talk to people with a purpose, <laughs> and so, um, and now I don't have those same anxieties, so it really helped me get over the hump. And then similarly for like, I think the big turning point for me in um, theater school, which is why I've continued to pursue kind of mask and clown stuff, um, was when Leah Cherniak came and did a clown course with me or with our group mm-hmm. in third year. And that was a huge turning point because I was like, oh, this is fun and it's not stressful and it's fun to create. And <laughs> yeah. I finally felt the joy of...
3: silly instead of so serious. <laughs> yeah, in a theater
0: totally.
2: school. So yeah, so that was it for me. And then... Um, I'm actually doing my master's in documentary media, which is what part of this is for, and that's been great because I I graduated from theatre school and I had this certain set of skills, but I felt very limited in terms of what I could talk about, um, and the issues that I felt passionately about, I didn't feel like I was well enough informed to actually do it. So what this master's program has done for me is given given me two years to like sit down and research and really figure out what good research is, um, and then... Had the confidence to bring together this wonderful group of people and to talk about these issues, um, within a group. So that's been, this is like my dream project. Great. So it's really cool. Now
0: before theater school, mm-hmm. what was it that introduced you to theater? Do you remember what you uh, were, like what brought you to that?
2: I mean, I was in the, the performing arts program at O'Neill Collegiate in mm-hmm. Oshawa <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And uh, but a superstar by no means, and um, I actually found it quite frustrating, because I never, like, I was always, like, the girl who got kind of put in the bag in the mm-hmm. alto section and things like that. And <laughs> so I was like, god damn, I hate this! And then I, you know, had no hopes of getting into theater school, but I still wanted to do it. And I guess I, I danced, and I mm-hmm. play piano and stuff, so I guess arts was always in my background. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of pushed me in the structure, and I really it was getting into Ryzen Theater School that was like, okay, maybe... Maybe I should do this. Cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, so it was all very just like instinctual for me. I grew up in the 90s, so of course Disney movies were like really my... I consider my first introduction to theater because I would... Um, it was just instinct. I would act along. I'd pick a character whenever mm-hmm. I'd watch a movie, and I would act along. And now I know all the words to literally <laughs> all the movies. Still, course, yeah. it's just ingrained in me. And so it was just instinctual. So my mom saw that I was doing that naturally and she put me into ballet, but then I was mad that I couldn't sing. So then she put me into musical theater. Um, and then I started doing musical theater and I was like, I really liked dancing, but I was never a dancer per se. Like I would, I could never do a grand jeté. Like, Mm. yeah, I was never that. And then I went to, uh, arts high school as well. And, um, I, was the brown noser I was like I was totally teacher's pet because like that was the only part of school that I was actually good at was the acting stuff I don't do uh, other stuff very well um I'm good at talking not necessarily writing (laughs) so after that it was just the only school the only thing that I wanted to pay money for in Mm post-secondary to get an education was theater Mm -hmm. there was nothing else I would have really gone for um and I got into Humber theater school and it was the absolute perfect match for me because um they yeah they're focused mainly on physical theater and devised work um there is some classical training as well um but I definitely clung on to Grotowski work mm-hmm. and Lecoq's work and um Clown and Buffon and things like that mm-hmm. yeah oh. mm-hmm
3: uh for me, I mean, when I was young, my parents really only ever introduced me to musical theater. That's all they ever wanted to see. So that was like it's my introduction to stage. And then come high school, we're going downtown to see professional productions of plays and I'm going, "Oh, there's other stuff." <laughs> and uh and so then and then it was like I just felt like I just felt at home on stage, like and theater was my community you know like Mm -hmm. it was my way into finding community Mm -hmm. Um, and and then Ryerson was uh, you know where I started to feel like I could take this seriously and professionally Mm -hmm. Um, as for mass work uh, like when we were introduced to mass work with Perry um, I saw such a huge opportunity for reaching those places inside yourself that you don't normally get to, uh, as an actor, like a young man could play an old woman yeah. and it could yeah. be a very real, yeah. very convincing, very heartwarming, whatever, like whatever it needs to be performance. And I would even sometimes go to math classes that were not in my year. Um, you know, in, in our busy schedule, if I could and, and watch, because like, see these people and you see this like young girl playing this completely like you would never suspect they had the ability to perform that way like or that kind of person or that aspect of themselves and I think it brings that out so I loved that part of it and that really really drew me to
1: mask um, yeah uh, what brought me to theater uh, I didn't like intend to go to theater school initially um, initially I, I, my parents always put me in music and it was so regimented and I had to play an instrument and it was so, it didn't fit, and it didn't practice and whatever. Um, but my, my aunts would bring me to theater shows downtown. And, um, so I guess I just started auditioning for like school shows and stuff like yeah. that when I was a kid. Um, and that was really fun. And I think that's, it was an excuse to leave class in the daytime. Um, <laughs> it was an excuse to sing a dance and do stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but I was really convinced I was going to go to school for environmental science. Mm. Super, super convinced. Uh, and then wow. I, I I went to the, the campus at Guelph and realized Guelph wasn't for me. So <laughs> that's <not> how <laughs> I actually ended up at U of T. Um, and so I, I thought the other thing that I was really interested in was international relations. Mm. Um, so I went uh, for international relations. And I think also like a lot of my history was about like disagreeing with things that were happening. Mm. Uh, in Markham, where I grew up, um, we took part in... Not protesting, but speaking to this project, uh, this bill that was called the Food Belt, mm-hmm. and it was to try to stop development of, uh, above a certain street in right. Um And going to the town hall meetings about that was super eye opening in terms mm-hmm. of how many different perspectives there were. This was farmers' livelihoods; they couldn't get any of the Canadian labor. They had to get all of their foreign labor from Jamaica. Yeah. Uh, farmers were being offered a million dollars—sorry, uh, a hundred million dollars—for the land. Mm-hmm. to make uh, basically cookie cutter houses on the best farmland in Canada. It <laughs> yeah. was shocking. Yeah. Uh, and you would see these giant piles of death in Markham Once you pull up the topsoil, the soil can't grow anything again. Right. Um, so that was a big part of it too. So um, in, in first year I was in IR and I was thinking about maybe pursuing public policy, but then I also took one drama course and that led to the Drama Center and there's a beautiful drama community at U of T. Mm. Collectively we mount something like 25 plays a year, Mm. Uh, plus yeah, anywhere from like 9 to 12 original productions at every U of T drama festival. It's a beautiful community. So that really brought me into it and um, so then eventually I got into the theatre program there. And in the second year, a friend and I were like, we really don't think that our acting training is really connecting to our sort of activist environmentalist beliefs. So we founded a theatre company called Broadleaf Theatre, mm-hmm. and we do environmental issues work through there. And that's really informed my practice going forward, and like what I'm interested in, and devised work has come through that. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and producing work has come through that too. So yeah. yeah, that's what I'm interested in. Now you guys,
0: I think, all have graduated from theatre school far more recently than I graduated. Um, and at the time that I was in theater school, nobody talked about creating our own theater. Mm-hmm. We were prepared for um, go to the audition, get the job, go on to the next, go to the next audition, get the job, and that would be our careers. And mm-hmm. it's only mm-hmm. as time goes on that it it's become more important for self-producing. We knew a fringe, of course, fringe yeah. I think, but it wasn't a big deal, mm-hmm. um, and and self-created work wasn't a big deal. It was when you guys were in school, is it, was that more of of what they were talking about, or were they? Is it something that you just had to learn to do? Yes and no,
3: um, and it, I guess it depends on the on the on the program. Mm-hmm. I would say personally, like very little. Mm-hmm. We did have one uh, class, a creative writing class, that would eventually uh, culminate in our fourth year with a week or a week and a half of plays that were. Created by our fourth-year students, Um, and and then you had to produce them, but you got tons of support. Mm -hmm. Is the thing, and really you put on these plays at no cost. Right. So you didn't get you got some experience of like okay what do we need, but things like your venue was paid for, lights paid for, all the people involved were students. So it was directed by a student, written by a student, performed by students almost always. And, uh, and, like, costumes, you would just, oh, what is available that's not being used by the school, mm-hmm. you could use. And so the budget for it would be, like, you know, not a lot. Yeah. So, y- like, you learn mm, not as much. But, um, I, and I, I, wish, I wish we had learned more because I think there's a big shift. Uh, like, the indie theater is a much mm-hmm. more, becoming much more uh, respected community mm-hmm. um, and yeah. legitimate professional community because so many people are really singing for their supper um, out there and are not as secure so they're putting on their like work from their heart uh, and I think that's I, I mean I could be wrong but the shift that's going to be taking over eventually because you know how often can you see the same plays done by the same company I think we're seeing in yeah. the same more way.
0: interesting work being done in yeah. more spaces with and there are more available spaces mm-hmm. to work mm-hmm. in that aren't the spaces that you're going to yeah. pay like half your budget just for the rental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're seeing more storefront theaters. Sure. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Humber is a very particular program mm-hmm. where they do mainly focus on self-produced work mm-hmm. because it's also a really new. Yeah. Like, I know Ryerson and U.T., yeah. they've been around for like a really, really long time. Yeah. Humber's only, I think, less than 20 years old almost. Yeah. Um, So they have a huge, huge focus on self-produced writing and different forms of devising, which mm-hmm. um, I was super grateful for because I'm I'm actually more confident creating my own piece yeah. than I am going in for a Shakespeare audition. Yeah. Um, and, because I really don't have any interest in Shakespeare. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> At all.
3: Uh, yeah. I've, done,
0: I've spent more time in the last 10 years uh, creating my own work than mm-hmm. I have in auditioning for, exactly. for anything else. And say
4: so. and specific yeah. work too, they teach yeah. you how to um, create around your space, using the space to influence mm-hmm. what you're doing. Because I, yeah, I have a huge interest in guerrilla theater as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I think I'm the proscenium just... arch is like slowly <laughs> evaporating.
3: <laughs> I really wish. There had been a more extensive class on grant writing. Yeah, on really. applications. Oh, Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think everybody could say that. Yeah. Oh, we, we got one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and, we got The one class yeah, And it's an embarrassing thing, like <laughs> uh, when you're starting out, not knowing, like especially you know, mm-hmm. like
2: trying to explain this kind
4: of work yeah.
0: to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's also no, like right. I mean, there is a huge cottage industry that surrounds like learning to write grants and make a lot of money. Teaching other people how to yeah. write, how to yeah. write, yeah. write it, but it's it's certainly a skill. I know we were joined late by somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, yes. I've been, yes. Like, yes. I've been China. China. How do I, how do I bring you in? Uh, I don't know if this is like a, no 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 no. no. no, no, no. <laughs> this, no, no. This, this is, is and what, Your name is Morgan. Morgan. Yeah. And and, and what are you sure. what are you doing in, in with with the production?
5: Um, I'm an actor, creator, performer. Nice. And what's—I mean—I've
0: jumped in with a bunch of people about yeah. what their background is and where they, how they came to theater. Um, let's throw that that question to you. Sure.
5: Um, so. How far back should I go? <laughs> <laughs> what, what,
0: what, what, like, where, what was your first, like, how did you know, how did you first get, like, what was your first exposure to theater, and how did you know that it was going to okay. be a thing for you? Um,
5: well, I was extraordinarily shy as a child, like, would not speak to anyone, mm-hmm. um, if they weren't my mom, and, <laughs> and then, but my sister was pretty outgoing, and we were homeschooled, so we were, or unschooled, like, we didn't have a curriculum, we mm-hmm. were just pretty much, like, playing and discovering ourselves outside and stuff Um, so we played a lot of uh, storytelling and make believe games and that was like my entry into theater so we would make movies and and make up stories and that pretty much do that all day Mm. long and then I was in drama classes and theater programs and then I went to an arts high school and then I went to theater school and and then after theater school I was trying to try and figure out how to fuse, like, politics and things like that into theater. Like, if I'm trained to be able to, like, communicate these stories really well, what am I communicating? And mm-hmm. if I don't know what that is, then I'm pretty much a puppet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I started kind of trying to create my own work um, around environmental issues. Um, and then and I'm now doing my master's in environmental studies at York. Um, and it's a very interdisciplinary program there, Sorry, I just was biking really fast. <laughs> um, it's a really interdisciplinary program, so um, there's a lot of encouragement for like using theater and the arts, um, kind of like any different form of arts. There's like musicians and painters, and um, it to to incorporate um, different studies that you might be interested in with the arts or doing arts-based forms of research. So I'm looking at like um, how human whale and human-ocean relationships can speak to larger issues of environmental justice and how those can be communicated and discussed through theater.
0: Have you done mask before? Yes. Yeah. Um, so
5: my high school actually had a pretty strong focus on mask work because um, one of the main drum teachers was a mask performer. And then in theater school also, there was there was cool. a lot of emphasis on that. Cool.
0: Yeah. Now, I know that I, we only have... Uh, uh, because you guys are cutting kind of into your rehearsal time to talk, about, and <laughs> we're so <that>. close. <laughs> can you Guys, just quickly talk about uh, you know the performance is coming up soon. When is it? Where can people see it? Um,
2: yeah. So I, uh, it, the performance is Terra Cognita. It's at um, the Warehouse, which is Ten Busy Street. It's at uh, just at Queen and Logan. Um, if you see a Starbucks and a penguin uh, sandwich shop, you're in the right place. Um, And it's June 3rd to the 6th at 8 p.m. And we have an additional matinee at 2.30. And the performance is about an hour long. Um, You'll be walking and sitting, so wear comfortable shoes. Um, And then it's followed by um, a discussion with a local activist or artist. Um, and with some food sharing so there's um three of the nights we ask that people bring some kind of food item and we have a volunteer chef who while um you're watching the show is in here uh preparing some food for us to share together and talk about stuff and then uh the other two nights are sponsored by choco soul um which is a fair trade chocolate Mm -hmm. place um so they will be here for two nights and help uh they lead a discussion one night on ecological businesses and um they're just here to serve chocolate the other night
0: Sounds Mm -hmm. good. Well, thank you guys so much for taking some time to talk to me today. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you.